Welcome to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in their lives. And it's a place where your questions about faith and religion can be answered. And now, here's your host, Deacon Al. Hi, Deacon Al here. Welcome to Good News here on Catholic Spirit Radio. Always a pleasure to be with you every Saturday and Sunday evening. We look at the readings from the Mass. We also take uh, questions from our listeners or things that people wander up to me after Mass and ask questions about. And we've got a few questions that we're going to look at this week before we look at our readings. Um, one of them, we'll get right into the questions. I, I, this is a great one we hear a lot. I, I think priests hear this more often than, than the deacons do, but uh, all those in, in clergy get this question uh, lately. Given the lack of men entertaining uh, entering the priesthood, do you think it's possible that the Catholic Church will allow female priests in upcoming years? No. <laughs> and I don't mean to say that coldly or um, happily. I'm saying that simply bluntly, that the church does not have Catholic, uh, does not have female priests for a very good reason, and it's not the reason a lot of people will think. Uh, most often, people point to scripture and say, "Well, the apostles were all men, and so priests have to be a man." Well, it's true that that the apostles were were all male, but that's not really the reason for for male priests. The real reason comes comes down to matrimony. It comes down to the sacrament of marriage. God creates marriage at, with Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, made to be complementary to each other and to assist each other. Jesus talks about himself as the bridegroom and his church as his bride. One man, one woman, each with specific roles to play, each helping the other. The priesthood reflects that union, the two becoming one. Christ and his church become one. Christ, uh, the spiritual Christ and the physical body of the church become a union of one. In matrimony, the bride and the groom become a union of one person that can't be divided. And so the priest and the church represent that same union of husband and wife, of bride and bridegroom, of Christ and his church. One man, one woman, each with their own specific roles to play, united into one for the benefit of both. And so that's why we see a male priesthood. To have a female priesthood, we'd have a bride and a bride. It's not a valid marriage. That's just that's just the basis of it. It's not a valid marriage. And that's why we don't have um, same-sex marriages uh, in the church. Christ says that that's gravely sinful and that it's not a valid marriage. And so we want the priesthood to be a valid marriage to the bride of the church. So no. Uh, we've had three popes now who have made the point that uh, they simply do not have the authority to ordain women. It simply isn't scripturally possible 
uh, in God's church, Christ's church. So a follow-up question to that is, are nuns ordained clergy? No. Uh, neither are brothers or monks. Now, you can be a priest who's also um, a monk. That's possible. Or a brother. You could be like a Franciscan brother, but also be ordained into the priesthood. But as a rule, uh, nuns, brothers, and monks are categorized in what we call the religious life. So you have the laity, the religious life, and the clergy. Those are the three common uh, groups that we have with, within the faith. So clergy are uh, deacons, priests, and bishops. You say, well, you didn't, you didn't say the Pope. Well, the Pope's a bishop, bishop of Rome. So clergy is deacons, priests, and uh, bishops, uh, it is a male clergy for the same reason we just explained about um, the relationship of uh, groom to bride. And then women can be uh, not only nuns, they can they can also be consecrated virgins, which means basically a simplified definition is a nun who does not live in community with other nuns. So a, a consecrated virgin, virgin can live independently where nuns always live in community. So those are, the, those are the categories. Laity, religious life, which includes nuns, brothers, and monks, and then clergy, deacon, priests, and bishops. And we'll take uh, we'll look at one more question here out of the mailbag. Oh, yeah. Um, why does God punish children? I'd really think about that for a while. I, uh, what I had to think about was, can I think of an instance where God has punished a child? And I, and I really can't. And people point out, well, kids get uh, cancer. Not a punishment. A punishment is, is when it's a consequence that's a direct result of, a, of an action, of a negative action. That's a, that would be a punishment. Um, cancer isn't something somebody does. So it's not a punishment. Do they suffer? Yes, absolutely. Sure, we, we suffer from all kinds of things. Uh, does that mean God caused it? No. Uh, God loves us. God, God created us for his glory. And, and to, uh, to be able to exchange a loving relationship with him, he has, he has no desire to, to punish us uh, like that. So yeah, we suffer, uh, but Christ suffered. Suffering is part of humanity, and Jesus shows that in, in his own suffering. But yet at the end of the suffering suffering is redemption, resurrection, uh, eternal life. So it's, it's more of a, you know, it's just something we go through, but it's not a punishment from God. So then the next step is the, the response to that people will often point to in Scripture. There are several passages that talk about the iniquity of the father being uh, put upon the, the, their children. What we're, what we're suffering through there is a bad definition, a poor understanding of, of the term iniquity. So when you hear the iniquity of the fathers is, is passed on to the son, we think of iniquity as meaning sin, and it doesn't mean that. So sin is a, is a specific action or desire 
that is contrary to the love and the law of God. That's what makes it a sin. You can't sin against anyone but God. Sin is very specific. It's an action that we take or an action that we desire to take that violates God's love and law. Iniquity. Iniquity speaks to not our actions, but our character. Iniquity means that we you have a twisted character, um, a damaged character, an evil character. So when you think about it that way, now let's look at the scripture. The iniquity of the father is passed on to his children. Well, sure. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, we, we see that even today. I mean, psychologists will will talk about that, that if if your father, let's say, was violent, if your father abused you, chances are great, huge, that you will be an abuser to your children. Now, that's the iniquity, the, the evilness of the father's character being passed on to the children where the children suffer even if you don't become an abuser, you are certainly changed by the father's character. And the same thing could be said about the mother. If, if your mother is, has an addiction, chances are high that you will suffer, not be punished for, but suffer for that addiction. Maybe you'll become an addict. Maybe you have a deformity due to the addiction. Maybe you've suffered uh, abuse because of the addiction, mentally, mentally, physically, emotionally. But yes, the, the twisted character of the parent affects the children. And that's all that line, is, is that verse in Scripture is telling us. So does God punish children? Absolutely not. Do children suffer because of the brokenness of a parent? Yes, so be very careful who you assign blame to or responsibility to uh, when you talk about the difference between suffering and and punishing. Okay, so that takes care of some of our questions. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some more coming up. We've got our readings to talk about. It's so good to be back to you. This is I've only been back on the air for a few weeks after my accident, back uh, helping at the altar, and that's certainly been a wonderful thing. And back seeing my parishioners who I've missed uh, so very much. It's been a pleasure seeing all of you, and thank you for all the kind words and the cards and the, the emails uh, you sent while I was uh, while I was laid up at home with my broken foot. But uh, happy to be back, hoping to be uh, discomfort-free very soon. Before we get into the readings uh, for this weekend, I want to remind you that uh, you can be part of the program by sending in your questions about your Christian faith or about the Catholic faith. Could be things you want to know about, things you disagree with, uh, things you have questions, uh, and you just need to need to hear it from another source. I uh, would be glad to uh, read your questions on the air and do my best to uh, to give you an answer or to give you some reassurance about what they mean. You can write us at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.org, goodnews at catholicspiritradio.org, and we'll be glad to answer those questions. I've got a couple that I'd like to bring up today after our readings, if we have time. Otherwise, we'll bump them into next weekend and, and talk about them there. Uh, we might even do uh, half the show just on some questions. So be sure and, and tune in again Saturday and Sunday evenings 
here on Catholic Spirit Radio. So our first reading this weekend is uh, from the Old Testament, Book of Kings. And it says, Naaman went down and plunged into the Jordan seven times at the word of Elisha, the man of God. His flesh became like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean of his leprosy. Naaman returned with his whole retinue to the man of God, and on his arrival, he stood before Elisha and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. Elisha replied, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not take it. And despite Naaman's urging, he still refused. Naaman said, If you will not accept, please let me, your servant, have two mule loads of earth, for I will no longer offer holocaust or sacrifice to any other god except to the Lord. The word of the Lord. So here's what I like about this reading. It starts off with baptism. Think about it. I mean, baptism doesn't, doesn't just begin with John the Baptist. We, we hear, we see signs of baptism in the Old Testament beginning in Genesis. And in so many books, we, we see new life through water. And so here's an example. Naaman is, is, was a, a great warrior. He was, he was the head of the army for the, the king of Israel at the time. And yet he was dying of leprosy. And so he had asked the king to let him go see Elisha, the man of God, to see if he could help him. And Elisha basically has him go through a baptism. He goes down to the Jordan and he washes in the Jordan. And not only is he renewed in his faith in God, but his leprosy is is removed and he's renewed back to good health. So he gains physical and spiritual health from this. But what I find really interesting about this reading is at the very end. For I will no longer offer Holocaust or sacrifice to any other God except to the Lord. I will no longer do it. Naaman, who won the, who recently, just before this event, won this huge battle and credited that win to uh, God helping him, is now cured by God. And since, since Elisha won't take any reward for what God has done for himself, Naaman says, okay, then here's what we'll do. I'll stop worshiping all the other gods I worship and only worship the Lord. So prior to this event, uh, Naaman is not what you would call of a person of, of great faith. He was he uh, worshipped multiple gods and not just the God of, of Jacob and, and the God of Moses. And and here he is, he, he works for, he's the right-hand man, to the king of all the Israelites. So what does that tell you about the entire uh, population, the entire, uh, all the tribes of Israel, they're not really as dedicated as we would have thought they would have been by now after all the things that God has done for them. They worship him and other gods. It's kind of like hedging your bet. You know, the, the, just in case, just in case the God of, of Abraham and Moses and Jacob isn't enough, we're going to worship some other gods off on the side. But now Naaman's convinced. He's been baptized, he's been cleansed, and now he's dedicated to God. And certainly that's, that's, is, is one of the effects of, of baptism even to this day. Okay, so let's go on to the second reading. 
It comes from the second letter of St. Paul to Timothy, and it write, Paul writes, Beloved, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, such is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of chains like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I bear with everything for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they too may obtain the salvation that is Christ Jesus, together with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we have lived with him, we shall also, if we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we persevere, we shall also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The word of the Lord. So in, in this letter to Timothy, uh, Paul is still imprisoned, but his preaching isn't imprisoned. The word of Christ isn't imprisoned. It's still out there for everyone. And this is an, another letter from Paul urging Timothy on to continue in his evangelization of, of the faith and giving him a lesson that we all need to listen to. If we've died with him, we shall live with him. Dying with Christ means baptism. When we, when we die through the we, we die and through the waters, we're brought back to life. That's that, that new life that Jesus talked about uh, during his ministry. So he's saying that those who are baptized will live with Christ. But if you deny him, and this is baptized or unbaptized, if you deny Christ, if you, if you know about him and deny him, reject his, his kinghood, he will deny us. It, it always amazes me when people say that, how can you say you have a loving God if he sends people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. People choose hell. Hell is simply a spiritual state in the absence of God. Heaven is a state with God. Well, if you're going to deny who God is in life, when it comes time to enter his house, Paul's reminding us, he's going to say, as Scripture says, I don't know you. And it's not because God turned away from you, because Paul says that's, he can't do that. He can't deny himself. So God always loves us. It's always us who turn away from him. So just know that if you turn away from God in life, God's going to allow you that forever. Be very careful about this choice you make. Right now in today's world, uh, statistics say that there's more atheists than ever before in this world. It used to be, I remember at the time it was 2 to 3%. Now it's like 12% of the world are atheists. And then you have the nuns, not the, not the women in, in black and white, but the, the people who have no religion, N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. That's up to like 24%. Now, glad to say that the Christian faith is still growing, but we're, 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 they're catching up. I mean, the enemy, is, the enemy is growing too. And if you deny Christ in this life, he will deny you in the next. Think about that. We, we, take, our, we take our mortality so casually. 
we forget that the life on this earth is short, very, very short. Uh, we have, what, at best, 80, 90 years? Out of what? Out of thousands, maybe millions of years to go. So what you live through is is just, just a period in, in the whole book of life. Very short time, but the choices you make now will affect you throughout eternity. So choose wisely. Our gospel reading today is from Luke. Luke writes, As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. And as he was entering a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. I love this reading. This is great for, for a number of reasons. One is, as you notice, Jesus doesn't seek out people who uh, are suffering or infirmed, uh, the dying, the, the diseased. They seek him. And I think that alone is an important lesson to us. To think that whatever is wrong in your life, that Jesus is this magic genie who's going to suddenly appear and solve all your problems. It's not how Jesus worked. It's not how, it's not how he works now. That's not how he worked during his ministry. Those who needed him sought him out. They came looking for him. They realized their situation, and they understood that only Jesus could heal them. The next thing I notice in this reading is that it's lepers. And that's really important because in most of Scripture, leprosy is used to signify sinfulness. So these are, think, think of this in a different way now. These, these are sinners who are coming to seek forgiveness, redemption, repentance through Christ. So they seek him out. In, in our faith, we call that the sacrament of confession. When we seek out the healing of Christ, we go to the priest, we go to the church, and we seek the sacrament. We ask for it. We look for it. We, we desire it. And through that desire to be healed of our sins, Christ has authorized the, the priest in, in the place of Christ to absolve those sins for us. What he, what, what, Jesus says in, in John 20, what, what sins you forgive are forgiven, he tells us, the apostles, and what sins you bind are bound. So we seek out that forgiveness that Christ promised us uh, through, the, through the sacrament of confession. And in the next part, they, they ask for forgiveness. And what does Jesus do? He says, go. 
you're forgiven. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't, he doesn't pray over them. He doesn't spit in his hand and, and as he does in some points and, 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 and make a salve that he puts on the blind man's eyes. He just says, go. What happens when you go into the confessional? There's, all the priest does is li- he listens to your, to your, uh, to your confession. He listens to the contriteness of your heart. And in the words of Christ, he says, go, your sins are forgiven. So what you're seeing here is really the sacrament of confession being modeled by Jesus and to be followed by, by his apostles and now by his priests. So when you wonder, well, how can a priest forgive sins? This is how. This is exactly how. So now they leave and they're all healed. And when one realizes he's been healed, he comes back and says, thanks. And why is that important? Well, because most people ask, pray for things from God, and when they get them, they forget where that, that came from. And they never go back and say, thank you. And I'll give you a great example. How many of us say grace before meals? But we don't say anything afterwards. We thank God for putting the food in front of us. But after we've eaten, we never thank him for what he's done. For, for the meal that we've had. And that's what you're seeing in this reading. You're, you're seeing that same sort of thing. They go to Christ for the, for the grace, and then after they receive it, eh, they move on. One comes back, and it's a stranger. And that's important because it shows that Christ came for all peoples of all times, of all nations, of all beliefs, not just for the few, not just for the, the, the chosen children of God, the Israelites. This was a foreigner who came back, which meant the other ones weren't foreigners. They were the children of God. This is supposed to be the faithful ones. They got what they were after, and they didn't come back. But the one that impresses Christ the most is the one who comes back after receiving the graces and says, thanks. When do we do that? We do that at Mass. That's why attendance at Mass is so important. That's when we come back to Christ, to His house, and we say, thanks for all you've done for us. And sometimes those are big things, and sometimes those can be really little things. But coming to Mass is is the act of, of that one leper coming back to Christ and saying thank you. God has done amazing things in your life, if you take the time to think about it. Just having life itself is a miracle. That alone should cause you to come back to Mass every Sunday, and if for nothing else, to just say, thank you. And thank you for, once again, tuning in to Good News. Uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. It's a pleasure getting to know you. And I invite you to write to me at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.org. We'll be glad to read your questions on the air. Until next week, may God bless you, protect you from all evil, and bring you to everlasting life. Amen. You've been listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in your life. Submit your questions to Deacon Al at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. 
Deacon will answer your questions about faith and religion. Thank you for listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio.